So what if instead of focusing on trying to figure out alcohol, you tried to figure out yourself. You learned how to do all of the things that you think alcohol is doing for you, but better. You tapped into really understanding what the messages from your body meant and how to use your emotions to your advantage and how to really expand your desires to get what it is you finally really want and have real, lasting, sustainable pleasure. That is possible for you, and it is all available to you in the self-study course, The Naturally Sober Woman. It is everything that I teach my one-on-one clients, but it is compact for you, lifetime access on demand at a super affordable price available to you right now. You're going to go to my website, marywagstaffcoach.com, right there. It'll say self-study course or follow the link in the show notes right here. Get in there. One short video, just the welcome ceremony. There's a commence, a beautiful commencement ceremony that really anchors you into your intention for wanting to make this change into your life will change your life forever. It'll put you on a trajectory of new possibility because the bigger your desire is, the easier it's going to be to say goodbye to alcohol. So go on over to my website, get inside of the Naturally Sober Woman, and I will see you in there. Welcome, welcome. My name is Mary Wagstaff. I am a life coach who ended a 20-year relationship with alcohol without labels, counting days, or ever making excuses. In this podcast, we will explore my revolutionary approach to quitting alcohol that breaks all the rules, amazing stories from women who are throwing a better party because of it, and how you can stop drinking and start living. This show is not a substitute for rehabilitation, medical treatment, or advice, so please talk to a health professional if your alcohol consumption is a risk to your mental or physical health. Now on with the show. Welcome back, my beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for being here for another episode. I am very excited to be having a conversation kind of about this subject for the first time with our guest. So I would like to welcome Sarah Sibley to the show. Thank you, Sarah, so much for being here and for your time and generosity. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's just, I'm really excited because we um, are new acquaintances and friends. Um, and so it's really fun to get to kind of just explore, um, explore this topic, um, which is like, you know, something that isn't always just the first thing that you talk to people about <laughs> when you meet. <laughs> so um, yeah, so Sarah, I'm just going to have you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to. Yeah, my name is Sarah. I live in Boston. Um, I grew up just outside the city. I'm a certified herbalist. And by day, I work at a biotech company in the rare disease department. So I work with patients with rare diseases, just ensuring that they get their um, enzyme replacement therapies. Um, So I just started that job in January. So (laughs) still getting in the flow and learning how to do my job at home now um, mm-hmm. while in quarantine. So <clears throat> yeah, that's like definitely a new way to, f- <laughs> to flow for sure. So tell us a little bit about what has been really supportive of your days or really special lately. Yeah, I think the biggest support for me because I am working on the computer all day and has just been getting outside Um, I'm someone who really needs time in the woods um, and alone and just without technology. So it's been really beneficial for me to just walk outside and leave my phone and not have anything on me. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been probably the most beneficial. And then a close second would be the class by Taryn Toomey. I went to, she had one um, pop-up event in Boston a few months back and I had never heard of her, but my acupuncturist and friend brought mm-hmm. me. And I had for in quarantine, I've just been struggling with like movement other than walking that feels very embodied. And her practice is all about 
connecting your mind and your body and instead of dissociating from your body when you're physically pushed to extremes, really tapping into that voice that's kind of negative and it's just like, you don't need to do another burpee. Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> it's so much easier to give up at a home doing a workout because no one can see you. Um, but she really encourages you to tap into that voice and just fully embody all of that. Um, and it's been really beneficial for me in just completing cycles of emotions. Mm. I find that oftentimes I'm so in my head that things just get stuck up there and I shelve them, but they're still physically in my body. So this really, this kind of embodied movement practice has really helped me move things through me. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a really great way. And I feel like instead of the focus being like, I want to look aesthetically this way, it's very much like, I want to just feel better in my body and feel stronger. And like, we have a good relationship. Mm, yeah. I'll definitely have to check that out and I'll make sure to um, put that in the show notes. Cause it sounds like some really supportive work. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> have you been able to tune into that? Do you think more outside of that specific practice? Like, is it something you're utilizing? Totally. I think in conjunction with a lot of other things that I mm -hmm. do, um, I'm trying to use this time to just listen to my body more and not necessarily just let my brain do all of um, the talking, I guess, or dictating what I do. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I've been really, I've used this time to really challenge kind of normal day-to-day -day things that I do. And I'm like, does that serve me anymore? Am I doing this because I think I have to, or because I actually genuinely want to? Um, so that practice has really helped me just tune into the voices in my head and not push them away or anything, just come at them in a very curious manner. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's definitely something that we talk a lot about on the show is just curiosity and stepping into that place outside of of judgment. And I love that you said about um, seeing an emotion all the way through, because I think that that's such, um, especially when it comes to alcohol, the, um, the, the want to, to, you know, it's like you first, you have to interrupt your thoughts or your process about drinking if you're going to change anything, but, but drinking itself can be that interruption too, for seeing an emotion all the way through and watching it have that beginning, middle and end, I think is, um, yeah. How has that been for you? I mean, what do you, what do you see when you're able to see an emotion through? So for me, I hold all of my emotions generally in my chest and in my stomach. And I, during times of high stress, I have very poor digestion. I have like all of these issues arise. I, I will become intolerant to foods that norm, I would normally wouldn't be. I'll break out in hives, eating something mm. that I've always eaten. Um, so I've really noticed just my digestive system feeling better, less bloating. Um, I, I get really tense in my chest and I felt a lot of that weight come off. Um, and just being able to stretch that area more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what I felt physically. I just feel <clears throat> generally lighter. Like I didn't anticipate my whole being to feel that much lighter. It was such a tangible feeling of let, letting go um, that that's really what drove me to keep going. Cause I'll try different workout classes and things and I never, I haven't found one other than this that I've been like, this is the only thing I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I know we've talked a little bit about my Kundalini obsession <laughs> lately. And I, I feel very similar with that, where you, you really get to this heightened experience of sensation. And it's like, you can't, you, you can, you will, you must is what the teacher always says. And then when you find that cathartic release, and it's this flood and it really is, um, it's this kind of going backwards almost from what we're really taught about, well, if you just think new thoughts, then you'll feel differently. But if you just feel, then maybe the, 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 the process of thinking will automatically open up where that conditioned um, patterning really just starts to shift on its own. So it's a really 
Um, it's a really different approach. It's um, I think it's a more feminine approach to shifting um, the conditioned mind. Um, but yeah, we could talk about that forever. <laughs> that, that, the way you just said that was so succinct. I really, I love hearing things that I kind of, you innately know, but hearing someone put it so succinctly, like I, that just made so much more sense to me, even though I can feel that in my body. Like mm -hmm. that's something that I believe and I know. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, keep, keep up the practice. I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm very interested because I'm, you know, as interested as much as I can in um, really supporting the subtlety of experience because, you know, alcohol is such a concentrated reward. And we were talking about extremes before we got on the call and it's like, can we experience an extreme of subtle sensation, you know, and I think it's this refinement practice of getting to know ourselves that really is the journey inward of rediscovery. So yeah. on that note, um, tell us a little bit about your journey with alcohol. Yeah, I mean, so the first time I remember drinking was in seventh grade with my friend who I grew up with across the street. Um, it was pretty terrible. Her mom had like Goldschlager in her cabinet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a lot. Yeah. When I was younger, it was a lot of just like stealing from her parents, like her cabinets, um, and drinking as fast as possible because you didn't want to get caught. Um, since day one, I have had horrendous hangovers that <laughs> mm -hmm. have only gotten worse with age. Um, but yeah, I think initially it was out of boredom and because I thought it was cool and she had older siblings um and then going into high school I felt I was made fun of a lot at the beginning of high school I felt very isolated and feeling that kind of detachment from other people I just kind of cocooned inside myself instead of reaching out and trying to like find better friends or just get into different things um and I did do sports which was great um but that didn't stop me from drinking I just felt like I needed other people's approval because I wasn't getting it um and that I think was one of the driving factors I was like okay everyone's doing this it seems like they're having a lot of fun. I also struggled with um, anxiety and depression. So I was just like, maybe I just need to do what everyone else is doing because they seem really happy and I'm really not. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I would regularly black out in towards the end of high school um, and I would be sick for like the entire next day um yeah I but I continued to do I made awful awful mistakes but I would just kind of it's like almost like that shame I would just repress it and feel like I needed to drink again so I could be happy and forget about it mm. that I speaking of extremes I can't I cannot physically drink things slowly <laughs> mm -hmm. um my mom and sister are very much like that as well just anything like it could be water a coffee whatever i chug it so i'd always drink way too much because i wouldn't register that i was drunk until it was far too late um and then i think the height of my stru my struggle with mental illness was freshman sophomore year of college and in order to deal with that, I didn't know how. I had tried therapy before, but I didn't connect with the therapist very much. I, I saw like three different people, didn't really connect with it. I was like, I don't think this is for me. And I really, I guess I self-medicated because I was just so unhappy and I felt like that was the way to make connections with people. Mm. It, and I really, it's still a story that I struggle with now. <laughs> believing. Like that's how, that's just, I mean, one, it's just a part of life. Like you meet someone new and you're like, do you want to go out for drinks? Like, that's just kind of how 
we operate. It's just like the autopilot response. Um, but I did feel I was very, very shy and I felt like I needed to, if once I drank, I was a little more relaxed and I was able to be more myself, which felt great. And I made connections with people and then I would just take it too far to an extreme. <laughs> um, and I think the crippling hangover anxiety that I felt really was kind of one of um, the first things that made me reconsider because I still believed all of those things like I needed to go out and drink to meet people um, and to be able to be whatever my definition of normal is mm -hmm. <laughs> for people um, so yeah that that patterning has been hard to strip off but I got to a point where I started therapy again I had kind of changed my lifestyle. I had really dived back into my spiritual practice and found a group that I felt really connected to. I moved in with my best friend and my sister and we all love to work out and eat healthy. So I was just like, this doesn't really fit into my lifestyle anymore. So it slowed down for sure and it was less often, but I would still, when I did go out, go out hard like just I would not drink for a very long time and then go out and drink a whole lot and um it never ended well and I always felt so terrible afterwards and it was a lot of I think it lasted so long because it was that feeling of shame and that is so strong and you just want to forget about it so it's it was a lot of pushing things to the side and not kind of Mm -hmm. taking a deeper look at what root causes were or why I was doing the things I was doing. And I really, I really hated the person that I became and the decisions that I made when I was drunk. And so I think when I started to take a step back and instead of just feeling shame about them, be like, why am I reverting to that behavior and kind of really taking a deeper look at that then I really was able to just take a step back and feel like this no longer is serving me in any way. Mm -hmm. So you were really, so kind of the, the beginning of the process out of that habitual mindset was really just a reframing of, or really it sounds like kind of just a, a little bit of a detachment witness experience. Yeah. And then, so how did that play out? I mean, were you, um, were you having struggles with your, you know, wa still wanting to drink, um, and then not drinking? Um, yeah, I, it's, it hasn't been that long. I mean, I don't, it's been a probably like five years of me not really drinking often. And if I do, it's like a couple drinks here and there, but um now it's been a few months and I just have no desire um but yeah it started off sorry what was the question again <laughs> <laughs> no I was just saying how you know the process when you first were like taking that step back to to take yeah. a look at alcohol the pro it was hard and I will say that a lot of other things were going on but I was not very social, which was hard, but also what I needed at that time. So I feel mm. like I took a step back from a lot of things and just kind of, that was the process that I needed at that time, not just because I wanted to break with alcohol, but because of loss that I had in my life and things like external circumstances. I really, my, my circle kind of shrunk and I was like, these are the people that I know want the best for me. Um, cutting some of that dead weight in the form of relationships was really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the most trying things, but yeah, it's still, I mean, it's still hard. I was out in Hood River actually for New Year's mm -hmm. and um, I wasn't drinking 
and we went to a bar on New Year's for a concert and we got there. We thought we were going to be like sort of late. We were very early. It was pretty empty and everyone else that was there was drinking pretty heavily and seemed to know each other and it was just me and one friend and we knew no one and I felt so uncomfortable and I hadn't really had that feeling in a while because I will go I'll go to a concert by myself like I'll go I go a lot of places by myself do things I don't need to drink and I haven't felt that anxiety in a while but I did on New Year's this past year and it just reminded me like this is really a process and I have to kind of just lean into that uncomfortability and remember those situations where it happens and ask myself, I think you, we so easily slip into fight or flight response mm-hmm. without, be, without kind of taking a step back and a breath and being like, I'm not in mortal peril. <laughs> like, there's no danger <laughs> other mm-hmm. than me looking awkward and not knowing what to do with my hands. Right. Um, so kind of, yeah, it's, it takes a lot, I think, to work on that reframing and just to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that habit that I personally have of thinking that everyone's judging me and looking at me. Got it. <laughs> that, that's like the biggest thing is just like, for me is feeling like people are judging me and I don't know that, yeah, that, that's a hard one to swallow. Um, so what happened that night? What ended up happening? The concert was great. Um, I was very uncomfortable for the first hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's funny because I completely crumbled. And it, it, I think it's a good experience now because I can look back on that and be like, you survived that. <laughs> <laughs> like a concert on New Year's is something to survive, but... I truly froze up and I felt like I needed to remain stuck still. Um, And I did, I truly was like, I have no idea what to do with my hands right now. And I just felt so uncomfortable. And I think what that scenario made me realize is that I am so uncomfortable in my own body and my own self. And that's a lot of what I was trying to hide with Mm. drinking or not hide necessarily, but um, I think after a couple of drinks, I felt okay being myself because I didn't care. And so now it's really, um, it's been a process of figuring out how to just unapologetically be myself in all situations mm-hmm. and not need that gratification of someone, um, of being liked and being mm-hmm. well received by people. Um, people like truly people I don't care about people I actively don't like I still <laughs> will just be like I just need that like approval mm-hmm. um, so registering that that was kind of the root of a lot of it was very uh, super uncomfortable but very helpful mm-hmm. just to kind of again step into that place of curiosity rather than shaming myself and feeling gross about it um really just being like okay there's like a wounded little me in there that needed some attention Mm -hmm. but registering that this is not the way to get it and just figuring out ways to feel safe um expressing myself yeah absolutely um i think there's so many people will resonate with that i love i can i kind of had this like stark image of you just being frozen and being like (laughs) not like your hands just up and i think that that's so important to just to know that it really is kind of the mind triggering this action because do you i mean how do you feel right now about um alcohol making other people think differently about you um I mean do you think that people are really thinking differently about you if you're drinking or if that's just I think there's always I think the part of me that seeks approval is so strong but I found a way that it's not I'm not blended with it it is not it doesn't feel like that's me feeling Mm -hmm. it it feels like a part of me Mm -hmm. Um, somewhat distant over here and I have some space from that need um Mm -hmm. so I'm I do definitely still feel it um but 
at the same time, I think it's enabled me to register and just have a better, um, I'm trying to look for the word, but basically like who I give my energy to. I think mm -hmm. I'm choosy and I think that's fine. I don't need every single person to be okay with the decisions I make. Um, but n just being more authentic with the people that I feel good to do so with um, and surrounding myself with those people. I, I mean, a lot of my friends still go out and they still drink, um, but the people I'm really close to are understanding and non-judgmental about my choices with that, mm -hmm. which is nice. And I still like, I still will go out with people to the bars and socialize. And it definitely is so much harder. Um, but again, I'm at the beginning stage of that. And I know that it's not actually, it's hard not to drink. It's just hard for me to be myself in situations. And that's something that I have to work on. Alcohol's mm -hmm. not gonna help that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that you um, have a different thought about maybe the activities which you're doing because I mean I've seen you in different situations that aren't just like right. going out so how do you feel about comparison I mean just as kind of as an example of you know being in a situation where you do feel okay being yourself and then being in a situation do you think it's maybe because it's an old like association of you know just being at a bar or just kind of socializing in that way I think so because in certain situations, okay. even with strangers in other groups that I've been in, I surprise myself with how honest I am and how forthcoming. Um, I go to a lot of women's circles um, and moon meetups, and there's always story medicine, and I think that's really powerful. And it was all, it was very um, hard for me at first to get into that to just be very vulnerable with a group of strangers. But I think a lot of these women leading these are just creating these really beautiful safe containers. So I think that has been such a great first step for me to get comfortable with just being authentic mm -hmm. and presenting myself authentically to strangers. Um, so I think it's, that's been good exposure therapy for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and well, let's I, give, yeah. No, I, go ahead. I, I do see it translate. It's obviously a slow process, but I have seen that translate over into other situations. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, like you said too, there is a certain container, right? And so um, when you're aware of different energies and so on, um, you know, a specific environment, like going to a bar isn't going to have that same container, but it's interesting to know, I mean, to just be in a place where you feel like you can practice that too safely and um, just keep reminding yourself that, you know, you can do it. If you could do it in one situation, you could do it in another situation. Um, having some time away from alcohol, um, you know, even regardless of being out in the world, how do you see, um, just see it differently. I mean, what are your thoughts about it now that you just never had before? Yeah, that's actually something that I've been working on recently because again, back to the extremes, I think there's a part of me that's like, I need to keep it at an arm's length, but also understands that not everyone's making that choice. So just as I don't want to be judged for not drinking, I need to not judge people for drinking in excess. And I think I do that because I feel very triggered when I see people kind of devolving mm -hmm. because I just, I, I'm like, oh my God, that was me. Mm. Um, so that's something I've actually really struggled with lately because I don't think of myself as a judgmental person and it's not me judging it's me being triggered by seeing that mm -hmm. so I think that um, I think just having more open and honest conversations with people um, and just knowing that my journey is my own and not anyone else's and I have no business judging theirs and they don't have any business judging mine mm -hmm. um, 
and just really coming at it from like especially with people I care about like detaching with love mm-hmm. um, and but yeah I think I just look at it as a I just don't generally don't think about it I think in quarantine like yesterday I was quite bored and I was like I would love a sour beer <laughs> um, <laughs> you know I had that thought it was really nice out but then I was like I can also just have a kombucha or like a water and that is just <laughs> gratifying to me now um, mm. because not that like I think I couldn't have just one because I definitely can it just even still now because it's been so long certain alcohols I'll have one drink and I still don't feel good afterwards like it's like my body's rejecting it mm-hmm. um, yeah so for the most part I'm just I kind of try and I'm not telling myself no to anything at the moment, but I just am sitting with feelings that I have for a little bit longer to kind of unwind them and unravel them and understand where they're coming from before I act on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really, um, it's a really intricate process. And I think that that embodiment experience that you're having more of um, is so important for people transitioning the relationship to alcohol because um, I think when you're kind of in the thick of it, like you don't realize like when you're drinking, um, like if your brain is just like absorbing the pleasure response from like the dopamine in your brain. And then when you do take some time away from it, that one, one drink is like, no, this isn't you know, you refine your sensations, but then there's still an association in your brain, an old pathway that is like, it's a sunny day, a sour beer sounds, sounds really good, but it's kind of just the whole picture of pleasure and whatever that means. So I think unpacking that of, okay, it's a beautiful day. It's going to be a beautiful day, regardless of what I'm drinking. I might not be super busy, so I'm a little bored. But what is, what am I really looking for right now? You know, and I think that process of slowing down is just so important. And I'm so glad that you're in that because as you know, after time, those associations become less and less, they're just not as strong. Um, And so you kind of like see through them a little bit more. You're like, but no, if I know what that feeling feels like, that's not what I'm looking for. So what is it that I'm looking for and how can I find that pleasure or, or nothing, or maybe it's just sitting, you know, with my emotions. Yeah. For me too, I'm some, I think it obviously will vary person to person, but for me, what's really helpful is that was a thought I had. It wasn't a feeling. Mm-hmm. When I know something's right, I get like a guttural feeling. Like I can mm. feel that in my body that this is like even if it's just like what to eat, like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I mean, it's really hard and I'm really working on it, but asking myself questions and waiting for that gut are all yes or no. Mm-hmm. And now that I've defined what those feel like in my body, that's kind of what I work off of. I love um, that. Cause so much of my life takes place in my brain and I'm really working on getting back into my body. Like we're talking about and listening to those responses and knowing those responses are leading me on the right path. That is my authentic path is really helpful because my brain can convince me of just about anything. So Mm -hmm. I love that distinction. And, um, I, you know, I've talked about kind of, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And I think that those, like, you're like, you know, you can feel that hell yes. Like, yes, I want that. That's amazing. That's what my body needs right now. Um, and so really tuning into that and not just, that's what I think I need, or I love that that's just a thought. And I've been using that phrase for two years now, just, you know, distinguishing between what story is and limitation and old patterns is that's just a thought. And I think that that's, it's perfect. Um, so I'm really glad that we're talking about embodiment because I just think it is the way into getting to know yourself because as you are 
<laughs> dumping booze down our, you know, as we're dumping booze down our throats, um, it really takes away. It's just such an interesting thing because like we feel like we're like feeling more somehow in those moments, but really it's just, it's a numbing experience. Um, so what are you so you, we talked about the challenges that you're still facing and um, it sounds like you're really doing a lot of work to, to just be with that, which I think is so important of, you know, slowing down the process. Um, and so can you talk a little bit more about just that, that process of like, what did you do yesterday when you had that experience? You just, um, of just saying like, oh, this sounds good. Yeah, I am. Um... <laughs> If I'm being honest, my thought was, I really want like 10 sour beers. <laughs> um, I was just like, I'm bored and I don't know what to do. And then I sat down, I ate lunch. I sat down and like drank some water. And then that honestly now, and because we're in quarantine and I, there is not an option for me to be social, that caught, that thought just floated away like mm -hmm. genuinely I forgot about it right um, and because it was a thought it wasn't like a lingering feeling in my body like my body will be like hey we want to do this you know what I mean mm -hmm. it is a yes for me and that has I don't always hear it um and that has taken some time to really kind of tune back into your body because I feel like with a lot of things in life including alcohol we just dissociate from our bodies so much, I think specifically as women. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, just doing practices on a daily basis that tune me into my body has helped me get to know those yes and no feelings from my body. And now I think it will be interesting to see what happens post quarantine. I think it'll definitely be more challenging in social situations and feeling pressures. Um, but I think that putting in the work now to just reconnect to myself, mm -hmm. I'll have that solid foundation for when I am out in the world and there are external forces at play. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so the embodiment piece, I really, um, you know, likened to the feminine energy. I mean, the, the emotional body is really our feminine essence. And it's, as we know, the, the outer world in this society that we live in, in this culture we live in is very much dictated by action and transaction and, you know, a march rather than, than a flow, than a pulse, than a, you know, a movement, which I feel like when we think about emotion, it's kind of a wave, right? It comes up, it's down and we experience it. It moves through us. You might feel it, it start in the belly and then it moves into the heart. Um, and so obvious, I mean, do you feel like that is something that the experience of embodiment or feeling into response is, is that connecting more with the feminine essence? Oh yeah. Um, I think I, I've always been a very intuitive person and I feel like with masculine structures um, and drinking and other life, poor life choices, I've kind of gone away from that. And so the embodiment practice really brought me back into that and reminded me of my innate power. Um, mm. And it also was like a permission slip to just be like, today I'm really sad and I want to cry and not do anything. It doesn't matter that it's gorgeous out. Like I'm going to sit here and wallow, like not to a place where I spiral, but there are times where I'm just in a melancholy mood and I need to lean into that and giving myself the space to accept that about myself and just know that everything's cyclical. I think tracking my cycle and following the lunar cycle and really just observing nature and its cyclical mm. nature was just such a big permission slip for me to also be like that. Um, like I personally am not meant to have structure and I always felt guilty for picking things up and getting really into it for a small amount of time and then dropping it and being like, 
moving mm -hmm. on to the next. Um, but really just accepting that those are truths about myself rather than trying to change them um, has really, I feel like things come to me so much easier um, and I feel much more in flow with the universe and I feel like I'm co-creating my life now rather than, I mean, trying to change your innate nature is such a Sisyphean task. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it, just, it doesn't work. And I was really tired. And I, I think this also, this all really came out of like a breakdown of being so tired of trying to change and like fix myself mm -hmm. or get better. And, um, through a lot of different modalities and a lot of amazing support in my life, I think I was able to have a safe breakdown <laughs> where I let that go and just was like, what if I just tried accepting these things about myself? And mm. easy to say on like a day like today where I feel really good. <laughs> um, talk to me in my luteal phase and I'll just be like, someone commit me. <laughs> but <laughs> it is really great knowing that these are cycles and they come and go and Sometimes I do need an external reminder and I have really great people in my life for that. But for the most part now, I just know, and I'm like, I'm not going to get into, I think for someone that has struggled with depression in the past, there is like a nervous fear about letting myself feel that sadness and, or numbing out or doing these things because I don't want to get caught in that cycle again. But I think when you allow yourself to fully feel things, they're able to move fully through your body and you're able to release them. And that is just such a help. I think showing myself that because you have to really remap those neural pathways. Like I still believe things that I rationally know not to be true. Mm. So just really gently practicing those things has been super helpful for me just to kind of reteach my brain that I'm allowed to feel all of the range of emotions that I feel <laughs> on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love that you mentioned um, it's okay to be myself. And I don't know at what point um, we're taught to be anything other than that, but it seems to be a reoccurring theme that we're constantly in. And I, and I think that this is full spectrum men and women that we are constantly striving to to be better or like not to, to be better but that better is something different so that's like but better for me I've just been like really tuning into with my clients and all of these beautiful women I've been talking to is that the ease comes um and the power and the fullest expression of your gifts, of your medicine, of your talents, of your purpose is just you being more of who you are. Um, and I don't know why, I don't even know where that starts. I mean, it's obviously conditioning. It starts before we're even born. And um, so are you able to, you kind of said that these things, there's thoughts that you rashly know not to be true. Are you able to see them a little bit easier now as you're tuning into your emotional body more? Totally. I think um, it's like, so like I was saying, I, I do cognitive behavioral therapy. So they work with parts and sometimes you feel blended with a part. And so now I feel like I have some space from it. Like it's this external thing that's like kind of sitting on my shoulder and I'm like, I'm able to tap into that place of curiosity and be like, what are you feeling? Like, why, where did this come from? Like, so that that part isn't responding to a past trigger and it cannot really have a sense of me and myself mm -hmm. and be able to just really have a conversation with that and gain deeper understanding of these parts of myself. Um, Cause often like these little parts of yourself are really just, they're trying, all they're trying to do is protect you from harm they just don't always have all of the resources that you do. And mm -hmm. I think it can be confusing. Like, why the hell did I do that? Like, it feels, it can feel really alienating in your own body to see yourself 
act a certain way or do things or make certain choices and be like, why on earth would I ever make that choice? Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to like feel angry or shame around those things. But when you you can step into that place of curiosity and understanding and then just have so much compassion for that willingness to protect you and those parts of you are working so hard just to keep you out of harm's way or avoid conflict, even though in the tangible real world, it's making things worse. Like I think having some compassion allows that anxiety of that part to ease for me. That's been mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think mental health is becoming, I mean, our men, our standards of mental health are pretty low right now. It's just like, if you're not being treated for something, like you're fine. Um, but it's just, we have to understand that we are working, you know, the, the way that our society has evolved is a little bit past the tool than some of the mechanisms of the mind still. Right. Um, and so a lot of that primal instinct and that fight or flight and that need to protect, which is really is one of a lot of the, the triggering is when it comes to alcohol, um, is just like, why aren't we getting this pleasure response when we were supposed to? And it starts to, you know, you start to freak out. Um, so I think it's so important for people to understand that are listening that, it's a slowing down process to understand there are layers of the self of the brain and it's just not, it's not so straightforward and you can move at it with curiosity and just be like, and, and hopefully in a little bit of a sense of humor too, sometimes like you have to like, you know, cause some of the things that we do in this human condition are ridiculous. They are truly. And yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I'm like I said, before we started, I'm really grateful for this opportunity because I haven't even really articulated this in any way so it's interesting to see what's coming out but I do really think that in saying this my slowing down of the process and releasing any external expectations or ways of going about it has been the greatest strength of Mm. going through this process because not I think so often we want a manual and we're like, what steps do I take? Because we, there is that feeling of, I want to get better. Um, and I want to do it in the most tactful way and the easiest, like I want to go from point A to B. Mm-hmm. I'm going from point like A to X to <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. all over the place. And I think for me personally, that's what works. Um, and just, yeah, the whole idea of self-exploration. And I have felt so much more pleasure and joy from little things. And I, I think that in choosing to give up alcohol and really devote myself to my self-exploration, like, I feel like that sense of childhood wonder, the way you see the, the world when you're a kid, like, that wonder and joy of just like seeing nature unfold around you has been so much like I feel that so much deeper because I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I'm numbed out to those experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost impossible to experience some of the day-to-day joys when you're drinking regularly because of the way our receptors are filled up. It's like, I mean, you can literally watch someone's energy change just by when they start to think about a drink, even ordering it, um, you know, they kind of go from dull to like a little bit more elated. And when that's that, that over stimulus is like our constant all the time, the subtleties of life really become muted. And they're the only, those are the subtleties that are the long standing, you know, the medicine that's the magic, um, of our life, I think. So, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that that's really beautiful. And I just want to, before we kind of wrap up, I have two more questions. Um, how has, I mean, I know that it's so interwoven with like mental health, depression and anxiety and drinking, um, but have you been able to, um, I mean, you already kind of said that you've been able to be a little bit softer with yourself in those moments where you feel you're having a little bit of melancholy, but are you, are you really thinking that seeing that the absence of alcohol is just giving you more clarity about 
the anxiety and depression in general? Totally. I don't think that I would have, I would be at the stage I'm in or have had those realizations because I feel like when I was drinking, it, it is that numbing. It's like, there's a, it's like being behind a Claritin commercial. Do you know what mm. I mean? For me, when I stopped drinking, it was like pulling that, um, pulling that off and just having a real sense of myself and the world around me. It was like I was seeing a new world and I had so much more appreciation for myself because I was putting myself in better situations. I think when I was drinking, I was devolving into this neglected child that was looking mm -hmm. for approval anywhere. And like, so I was just living in that pain and like living that cycle over and over again and then feeling shame about that. Mm. Um, and so in stopping drinking, I was able to kind of take a magnifying glass to that part of me and just feel a lot of compassion for it and mm -hmm. really gain an understanding and then see where there were gaps um, in my worth and self-confidence and really, I mean, that's been a long time building that back up, but just feeling worthy of love, of the, of safety, of the safety to just be myself. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that was kind of, a door opened when I stopped drinking. I was mm -hmm. always into a lot of this stuff and like there were, there's periods of my life where I've fallen out of a spiritual practice or therapy or just any type of, modality that helps me be me, the best me, mm -hmm. um, my most authentic version. So I think, yeah, I, I really saw a very substantial jump in my self-compassion when I stopped mm -hmm. drinking because I just, I really felt this, it felt less hard to get better, quote unquote, or whatever that looks like. It felt I felt like a roadblock was taken out of the way and I was just like, Oh, okay. Like all of these things are so much clearer to me. And so struggling so hard to figure out what the first step is. I'm like, Oh, I got the next 10 steps charted out. Like, mm -hmm. and like, I know that now being tuned into myself and tapped in like my intuition and like those guttural instincts are going to lead me to where I need to go. And, I'm really, I felt, I feel so much more in control of the journey. So even when I am in those darker moments, I don't feel out of control. I'm like, this is just a part of it. So there's, there's a lot less fear, I think. I love that. And I, um, something that I talked about um, a couple episodes ago was the privilege of emotion. And um, I think it's like the power, privilege, and pleasure of emotion. And I, I just really want you and our listeners to know that even in those scary moments of, you know, having to go back out into the world, maybe, um, that you're, the sensitivities that you're exploring right now are so, so powerful that um, it's really your superpower, you know, because it's your superpower to discern, like, and to just be able to say, no, thank you, you know, to whatever, to whatever it is. And so um, I think that the refinement of those in like, it just, it hones in on your strong sense of self more and more and more where if you just keep leaning into that as your power, it's kind of like, I was, I just had this image of like a superhero, like wears like a badge, right? on their chest. And I think that it's kind of like that. It's like the Care Bear stare. <laughs> it's like that coming out of you, you know, like you can mm -hmm. live into that emotion um, because that's really is where, where all of our intuition comes from. Um, our, our power coming from our intuition and, and our ability to feel emotion. So if you were um, talking to someone who you are talking to people who are listening to this, mm -hmm. but what would your um, what would your advice be to someone who is um, really exploring their relationship with alcohol or is 
kind of in the, in the beginning phases, um, probably still drinking, but really, you know, knowing that they want to make a change. I think for me, and this is also very personal. I know that people operate differently when I am told I can't do something. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't operate well within regulations and restrictions. So when I did stop drinking, I did like a month where I was like, I'm not drinking like a dry January. But after that, I think that was helpful to start with. And I did it with a friend and it was fun because we made mocktails. But I think really just finding something for me, it was that self-exploration. I think for a lot of people, it probably is like dedicate the time you would take going out to the bar even if it's just one night a week you can still go out you can still do whatever you want but like dedicate one of those drinking nights to self-exploration and just really getting curious with all of the feelings inside you and the things that you tend to push down or push away um they don't even have to be big like huge huge traumas like sometimes it's just it's very simple subtle things that you don't realize that you just they're just ingrained neural pathways, but they can be changed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, I think just spending some time with yourself, I think now is a really great time to be able to do that um, if you're able. Um, but yeah, just spending time building your self-worth mm. and your self-compassion, I think often in this world we're not enough we're not compassionate enough towards ourselves and that can be reflected out towards other people as well and it's just i actually have this woman that um that i work with at one of the hospitals and her little tagline which i absolutely love is in a world where you can be anything choose to be kind mm. i think that really starts with yourself um, absolutely yeah yeah, I I really thank you so much for that. I I just think that's so true. Like it doesn't have to be this I think we live in this world of extremes, right? So it doesn't have to be like Monday I'm, you know, going on a diet, starting an exercise <laughs> regimen and quitting drinking. It's just like no, just like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like it's just that can do a world of wonders, you know. Right. And on that note, I think it's important to say this was very much true for my journey. I couldn't like going on a diet. I can't do those things when the root cause behind it is shame or pain or right. someone else dictating how I should aesthetically look or the things I should be doing or how I should be acting. That Those aren't sustainable mm -hmm. um, fires to keep lit, to keep you going on that journey. So really finding, like for me, it's the self-exploration and wanting to just really be kind to myself and nurture my inner child. Um, so finding that flame that keeps you going, that's, that comes from no external. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always say that, in, you know, inspiration is infinite and willpower is finite. Like you can be inspired just by looking around you. And um, so, and it could be something different every day too. Um, we didn't talk about this, but I was just thinking, did you have a plant ally that you were using or that you love for this kind of compassion or even for alcohol specifically that you could recommend? Yeah. So for me, because for... For me, a lot of it, a lot of what I experienced was anxiety around it and just feeling really chaotic and out of control. And like, it was like I took the lid off of this can of worms of self-exploration and I just, it felt chaotic. And um, so for me, I really gravitate towards nervines, which are herbs that really just coat those sheaths on the end of your nerve endings. and oat straw was or milky oat tops um would be number one for me uh, okay so i like to blend oat straw lemon balm which is another nervine um and really just like a bright disposition and then rose because they're thorns on a rose that are very protective mm. but it's very heart opening and expansive in a very safe way 
Mm -hmm. So I, my favorite cup of tea is um, two parts oat straw, one part lemon balm, like a, one to a half a part rose. Amazing. I love this. So exciting. Um, is there anywhere we can find you and more information about herbal remedies? Um, yeah, my Instagram is squibbly, S-Q-U-I-B-L-E-Y. Okay, awesome. And we'll make sure that everyone has the link for that. So Sarah, thank you so much for all of your information. And um, I'm, I just know that this story is going to resonate with so many people. So I really appreciate you. your time. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too, Mary. Okay. Bye. Bye. The process of unraveling your story outside of the confines of alcohol is truly a sacred and beautiful journey of the self. Rediscover who you are in a whole new world again. Stop by my website, marywagstaffcoach.com to get instant access to the on-demand workshop of my revolutionary five shifts approach. And while you're there, you can sign up for a one-on-one -on -one consultation where we will create together your life intention. This is the framework for which all of your decisions around alcohol are made from your truest and highest self. In addition to working remotely worldwide, I host private one-on-one -on -one healing retreats at my sanctuary in Mount Hood, Oregon. I can't wait to connect.